You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. feeling like uh, the late, great Brody Stevens right now. I feel the energy. I feel the positive push. I'm excited. I'm pumped. This is so strange because this is uh, this is an unusual setup for us. Christoph is here with me. Jay on right here. It's the Jay and Dan podcast for the week of July 15th. And you're saying to yourself, when is Dan back? Dan will return, I believe, on August the 5th. That'll be the first solo Dan pod. But for the next three weeks, we have real special treats for you. Next week, the pod on the 22nd, Monday the 22nd, we have the return of the one and only Peter Schrager. He will be on that podcast as well. Mike Botticello, sexy Mike, will join him there. Then the following week on the 29th of July, that Monday, we've got Brent Butt, our good friend, alongside... The one and only engineer, Jim, he will be on that podcast. But for this very podcast, we're bringing back someone who's been requested for so long, and and we just haven't been able to get him back on. And now we are very fortunate, just for a few minutes, to have this guy back with us. He was one of our best friends that we made down at Fox. He's uh, just a terrific guy, former Colorado Buffalo standout quarterback, former minor league baseball superstar current broadcasting star with Fox in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to kick off this edition of the Jay and Dan podcast with a Clat chat. Joel Clat, how are you, buddy? Yes, I love it. I cannot believe we've made it happen. <laughs> oh, this is the highlight of my life, fellas. <laughs> now, Dan's not with me, Joel, because... Yeah, well, that's because he's an underachiever. He so, is. you know, good well, riddance. Well, you knew I'd that when you met with him. You, Jay. I agree. I like the fact that we get a little one-on-one time. This is fantastic. Wow, 100%. Listen, we've always enjoyed our one-on-one time more... Jay, you know that. I do know that. I will tell you quickly, because I know you'll appreciate this. Dan just returned from Amsterdam. <laughs> and he was really? there. Yes. And he was there with none other than former Fox stagehand and frequent Fox Sports Live on-camera contributor, Jim Pearl. The <laughs> was he really? He was with Jim Pearl? Yes, that's right. Completing my life right now. They were in of Amsterdam. They were, they were there they for were. five days together. What do you think they got up to? <laughs> oh, goodness. Who knows what they got into? Oh, oh That's hilarious. How have you been, man? I've been so great, and it's great to talk to you. You're in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you're in the Lone Star State. Yep. What are you doing there, buddy? Tell us what you're up to. Uh, it is Big 12 media days, so starting to get ramped up for college football. Excited about that, and um, yeah, so this is the conference media days, and I'm here and, and already looking for uh, my flight out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing with the Big 12, and like our audience in Canada probably doesn't have a super firm grasp on all the different conferences and how they're different sure. in the states. But just the Big Twelve is sort of a fascinating conference, isn't it? Because you've you've got a yeah, lot they of play. They play a lot of offense down here, right? Not a lot of defense. Right, you know, exactly. you got Oklahoma has won the conference four years in a row with uh, Lincoln Riley as their head coach. So, um, and it's actually the conference that I played in. Colorado used to be in the Big Twelve, so this is 
is kind of home for me uh, to a certain extent. And are you, is there a certain coach or is there a certain person that you're like, I got to get to this guy because this guy gives me the goods, the quotes that I need to make this interesting? Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of Oklahoma games, so I've gotten to know um, Lincoln Riley quite well. And he's always been very forthright with information. I, here's the thing for, for me. Here's the equation for me, Jay, is that I want to see these coaches as many times as I possibly can when there's zero pressure around and try to establish my relationship with them then, like these media days or the spring meetings in Arizona, or I'll go out and visit them in spring football or, or sometime at a golf tournament over the summer so that we can have a relationship so that Friday before a big game, I'm not trying to establish a rapport while asking him questions about his team. So I think that's always kind of the important kind of natural way that this this business should work, and it's worked well for me as far as information goes with coaches. You, uh, you've done it the right way. I mean, you we've talked about this before. Uh, when you were at Colorado, you were interested in broadcasting. You started off there. I believe you were with Altitude there. Is that right, Joel? I did some work with Altitude. That's right. And then uh, actually my first foray into it was a guy got sick. Alfred Williams, who was a Denver Bronco on their Super Bowl winning teams in the late 90s, he was a media personality locally in Denver, did a radio show, and he was doing the high school football games, the high school football package. And he got sick one night, and they were like, well, who can do it? And I had just been released from the Lions, um, from the Detroit Lions. And so they knew I was in town and called me and said, hey, will you come do this? And I said, no, I'm going to go be an investment banker. <laughs> and they said, no, really, come on, please. And, and I said, okay, I'll do it You know, this one time. I think they gave me like $125 to call this high school football game. And when I walked out of the booth, they were all like, hey, you should do that again. And that's literally how it started. That's amazing. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, I'm sitting next to Jay and Dan oh, man. Fox Sports Live. God, that was amazing. Well, wasn't that fun? We had a great time it down was. there. It, I had a great time. Yeah, it was really fun. Now, how have things changed? Uh, people walking around, uh, hanging their heads. Low. Since we've left, a lot of sadness, a lot of anger around the network since we've been gone. Yes, mostly bitterness that you guys are not there. Um <laughs> Mainly from me. Yeah. Um, I feel like Lord Cornwallis from uh, The Patriot when at the end when he's like, everything's changed. That's the way I feel. You know, that yeah. scene where he's like, everything has changed. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. I don't know why that movie scene popped into my head. Yeah, I was going to say that was um, kind of a random uh, play, but I like it. I like that from I you. Don't, I don't get into the studio as much. That's right. the thing. So I'm just not on the lot as much. Everything I do is mainly traveling. You know, I did some of the, the golf this summer and do college football. And occasionally I'll pop in and go on with Colin Coward. But we, we rarely have as many laughs as uh, what we used to have. You, you guys <laughs> have a bit more of a contentious relationship, I would say. Like he's Colin has this thing where... And if our, I think our listeners are pretty familiar with Colin. But Colin's a very popular nationally syndicated radio host in the United States and, and works for Fox. And he's a great guy. He really is a great guy. Yeah. But, yep. uh, but you guys have had some, uh, some tete-a-tetes on, on the air a few times over things like, for example, his insistence on just hammering Baker Mayfield uh, right. to death for, for reasons I still can't understand. And you, of course, have yeah. to defend him. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I get in there and, and tussle. Here's the thing is that Colin and I have a great relationship, and I think that's what makes it 
okay for us to banter a little bit back and forth and get contentious is because it's never personal. Right. And, and, and it can be funny and it can be interesting. And, and I think that, and he knows this and has told me as such, his fans and, and his listeners, they need and want at times for him to get beat up, you know, cause they, that's the voice that they hear constantly is his voice. And so sometimes they need the alternative and, and they need some daggers thrown at him to make it a more entertaining show. And so he, he certainly understands that, appreciates it, and um, has afforded me a, a great deal of latitude when I come on his show to absolutely you know get after him, which is fun. I really enjoy it. But again, we, we have a great relationship. We're you know very good friends. I, I think he's like if, I, I I couldn't agree more. He's just a, a really terrific person, super intelligent, and I can understand why people get upset at his opinions. But you're on you're on every day for three hours, talking constantly. I feel like at some point you got to mix it up. Say some crazy stuff. I think you have to. Almost, yeah, don't you? I mean, shoot, I used to do local radio. Some of the stuff come out of my mouth. Uh, you know, we'd go to a commercial, and I was like. Well, I didn't believe any of that. You know, I mean, this is what it is. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Now, um, you mentioned the U.S. Open. Oh, well, you didn't mention the U.S. Open, but you said you've done some golf. And I think a yeah. lot of viewers up here will be familiar with you um, from doing. You were super visible at this year's U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Um, You're interviewing all the guys coming off the 18th, and and that was on TSN. So you were on our network, Joel. You were. We were reunited I in a way. Love it. Yeah, oh, we were, and I felt it. There was like a. There was like an unspoken tingle. Ooh. Jay. I felt the J. I felt the J tingle. The J tingle. You know, a lot of people in my life have felt the J tingle. Some have appreciated <laughs> it. Others haven't appreciated it as much. Oh, uh, but I. Well, but I do. I'm, you know, that, listen. That's not for me to decide. That's right. an HR issue. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you, this is so interesting to me because you are a baseball guy. You're a football guy. You played those sports at a high level. And um, I assume you're you're a good golfer, but going into golf, it almost seemed like something you wanted to do. Am I right about that? Like you wanted yeah, to get into yeah. that? Yeah, I love golf. I watch it constantly, so I, I consume golf. Um, I'm a decent player, and in the summer, I'm bored out of my mind. So I was like, guys, I would love to be a part of this, and I was. I was part of their digital coverage, you know, for the last four years kind of on the side and I loved it because I could go and play the venues and, and just kind of be a part of it. And then they came to me and said, Hey, we'd like to, and we're interested in expanding your role. And I jumped at the chance. I was really, I was candidly, I was taken off guard a little bit. I didn't think that that would ever happen. It's not something that I was striving for or asking for. Um, and an opportunity came up, they, they offered it to me and I kind of ran with it. So I really enjoyed it. But mo- but mostly, I was just worried about how I looked. <laughs> like physically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Right. The yeah. vanity aspect of it. Well, because so. you're showing off you know, the that's... guns, right? Like you got the suit. When you're doing college football, you got the suit on. Your your you know Victoria Trilling has kitted you up in a beautiful suit. You go to the golf. You got to put on that Fox Polo shirt, and you got to be ready. Yeah, you got to be fit, right? Listen, I was in the gym a little bit. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> you were crunching it at the Manhattan Beach Golds? Yes, that's right. That's right. Hey, um, kind of... Not... Wait, what day is it, Tuesday? Beach Body Day. 
Now, okay, not to get too serious, but this story I thought of you while you were mentioning this story, and I, I just love this story. It's like a redemption story. Um, Ryan Leaf, second yeah. overall pick right after Peyton Manning. If you go back and you remember this like I do, Joel, and Christoph remembers this, our producer, I remember going into that draft and lots of people thought that the Colts should take Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. Oh, yeah. Like, right? yeah. You think I mean, back it was, at it? It was not a clear-cut deal. I think, I think only... With you know revisionist history, do we go back and say, oh yeah, that was obvious that the Colts would take Peyton, but that was not an obvious deal at all. So um, it, he was you know as good of a college player as I can remember at the quarterback position. Uh, led Washington State to the Rose Bowl. He was a terrific player, big, strong arm, tall. Um, you know, he had all the tools and, and there was a lot of people that thought up until the last moment that the Colts should and would take Ryan Leaf and ultimately they didn't. He went to San Diego. He goes to San Diego. It just doesn't work out as a pro. And then even worse than that off the field has so many issues. He's in jail. He suffers from addiction issues. It was going on for so long, Joel, that I think a lot of us thought this guy might you not might not be able to get this guy back. You might not be able to redeem him. Yeah, exactly. Him. And, and, and and you start to you start to worry about you know not only you know you know his ability to you know I don't know what the right word is you know be a contributing member if you will and you start like from from afar worrying about like his life right right exactly. you know at some point you're like man this is this is going down a path that's going to end really badly unless there's an abrupt term and thing a turn and thankfully there was yeah very uh, very marinovich like where it's just happening over and over and you're thinking gosh like will this ever end will this cycle ever end and then amazingly a few years ago he somehow a light switch goes on and he ends up following you and he follows our friend Brady Quinn around a little bit and he decides he wants to get into broadcasting. Yeah. And, and I can remember the day that, that he texted me and it's one of those where you look at your phone and you look at it about eight times. You're like, wait, is this the, like, you know, he's like, Hey, hey Joel, this is Ryan Lee, you know? And, yeah. and I was like, I'm so, excuse me. Yeah. You know? And so he's like, I would love your help. And, and I thought, man, this, and he had been on his road to recovery from a lifestyle standpoint. And then now he said, Hey, I'd really love to shadow you. Cause I'd love to get into this business. And I thought, absolutely. So there were, I think two, maybe three different games where we had him out and, and he just kind of was a, a fly on the wall behind me and what we were doing the entire game. One of them was a USC game. Uh, he did this for a UCLA game, um, and this was a couple of years ago. And I just remember him being so eager and excited to not only continue because he does a lot of speaking engagements and talking about his path and and the sober life as as he talks about it. And it's interesting because he and I struck up somewhat of a kinship. I don't know if you remember this, Jay, but but I'm also sober. Yep. You know, I'm I'm working on let's see, it's two months until I'm eight years wow. sober. Congratulations, and so man. And I, thank you, man. I'm, I'm super proud and, and happy about it, obviously. And he and I had long conversations just about that. And gosh, man, I'm just to say, I'm, I mean, it sounds so weird to say I'm proud of him. Right. But I'm so proud of him. And he got a chance with 
now ESPN is going to be calling college football games. So it's I'm so it's happy amazing. That, that yeah. It all worked out. Yeah, and that just that news just dropped over the weekend that yeah, ESPN has hired him and and he's going to be he's going to be at the booth and and he just seems like it's it's a little bit like you in that you know I heard him kind of talk about it. He said I I just realized I could do this. You know, it's almost like you're mm-hmm. watching someone do it on TV, even when he's shadowing you. Maybe he had some doubts, but. I think once he started to, to do it, and I think he's done some games now, uh, I, I think he just realized, hey, this is in me. It's just a matter of i got to keep it on the path in terms of staying sober, obviously, staying out of trouble. And, and as long as I do that, then I'll be good. Um, not only that, but he saw me and met me and was like, well, if this guy can do it, <laughs> I mean, goodness uh, gracious. Listen, I know you got to run, but before we let you go, uh, that was my alarm. Gotta tell a story. Well, this is it because that was my alarm going off because I know you're you're tight for time. So yeah, could we get I a quick? You were getting another call. I thought you were kicking me off because you got some other important guests like it, Chris Broussard or something. Oh, listen, now I knew you were going to bring that up, and I just want you to know that that Chris and I are. Re- you know what the best part of that whole thing was, Joel? Is that um, my I'm a client at the Creative Artists Agency, CAA. And I didn't know this until a few days after I mentioned those things about Chris, that Chris is also a CAA client. And oh, you guys. Oh, we're in the man, same friendly, agency. Friendly fire. Yeah, we're in the same agency. So my agent called me and he said that, that they have a thing at CAA where, where if something like that happens, uh, they call it client-on-client crime. So I committed client client crime at CAA. So I really messed things up at uh, Avenue of the Americas, uh, or what I is it called? You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that is. The yeah. Avenue of, no, Avenue of the Avenue Stars. Stars. Avenue of the Stars. That's, That's what it. You are Jay. That's what you are. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So we need a quick Joel Klatt story. Okay. I can't have wait. I ever told you guys? Um, I don't think I have. I obviously told the the say hello, say hello Terry, everybody. Say hi to uh, Terry. Say hello Terry. They let Terry Mike Pereira's face. Oh, man. oh my gosh! I wish you could have seen it. Tim okay. Brandon. Have I ever told you the story about minor league baseball and our bus driver? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Good. Let's, let's hear. Okay, uh, this is a good one. Okay, so you have to understand now, minor league, like in in the big leagues, what they do is they play a day game at the end of a series, and they call it getaway day. Right. Right. And so they play a day game so that they can fly home and get home in order to, to basically sleep in their own bed because they have the charger and they, they take off quickly and, and go sleep in their own bed. Well, I don't know if it happens anymore, but that does not happen in minor league baseball circa 2001 Idaho Falls Padres. Okay? <laughs> right, right. It does not happen. <laughs> we play at 7 every night, and it's not a charter going home. No, no. We're on the bus to go home. So – and there's no off days. Okay, this is short season single life. So there are no off days, Jay. So you, you are every three nights spending the night on a bus. Okay? It's the worst. I mean, oh, it's God. the Everyone's like, oh, man, how cool is professional baseball? I'm like, huh, it was awful. What are you talking about? <laughs> I slept on a bus once every three days. So, so we're in Casper, Wyoming, which is a joy in and of itself. Sounds like and it. And what we do is... There's one hotel room that we don't check out of on getaway day so that the bus driver can sleep all day and then drive us home. Okay? Okay. And this is an important 
fact, because the bus driver has got to be able to stay up all night and drive us home. Now, we're going from Casper, Wyoming, to Idaho Falls Padres, directly over the Tetons, the Grand Tetons, right there. So it's a winding drive. It's not like, you know, getting on, you know, the five or whatever and just driving on an interstate. This is like mountainous driving and like switchbacks and everything. And we're in an old, no joke, 1960s bus straight out of Bull Durham with the rounded back. Oh, man. It was... It was a manual transmission. <laughs> so when I'm talking about, I'm not joking. So Jay, it would be like, <laughs> you know, and your like head is jolting back, and there's duct tape on the seats. And I always sat right in front of the, <laughs> or you know, I'm assuming that's all right to say in your podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and the reason I did that is to guard it so that no one would come back there and take a deuce. Right. Like, no one's going to take a deuce in the bus while no. we're on a bus once every three nights driving over the Teton Mountains. That's no, that's a no-no. So when, when he would shift a little too hard, in particular going up a hill, my head would always hit the, the john. You know, I mean, the, oh gosh, oh, this is bringing back nightmares. So here we are in Casper, Wyoming. It's getaway day for the Idaho Falls Padres. We're going back to Idaho the next uh, that night. 7.05 game. And lo and behold, this bus driver is supposed to be in his hotel sleeping. He's, we've got the extra room all the way until after the game. We're going to leave at about 10.30, 11, 11.30 at night. I look up in the second inning. It's 7.52 you know, or whatever, 7.55. And in the fourth row, I'm like, God, that guy looks like our bus driver. And I, and you know, I like, I hit one of our teammates and I was like, Hey, is that our bus driver? And he looks over and he's like, he's like, what the, he's like, yes. What is our bus driver doing at the game? He's got to drive us home tonight. Then he reaches down and picks up his 24 ounce Mick ultra (laughs) and takes a big old sug out of it. Just bam. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Our bus driver is in the fourth row. For the Casper Rockies, watching us play a god-awful baseball game, drinking a beer while he's got to drive us over the Teton Mountains in a 1960s rounded-back manual transmission bus. So here we go. Guess what? That night, Jay, we're driving over the Teton Mountains, switchbacks. <laughs> my head's hitting the john. All, you know, all, all the above. It's about 2.30 in the morning. All of a sudden, we kind of like start to slow down. I'm like, oh, is there like elk in the street? What's going on? And we're like going up a hill. And then all of a sudden, you hear like the gravel. It's really dark, obviously. And you, all oh, of a sudden, no. you hear the gravel of the shoulder. And I was like, oh, what no. is happening right now? <laughs> I'm like, did we catch a flat? You know, like, are we pulling over to help someone? What's happening? Bus full of minor league baseball players. And you remember now, our team had like 21, 22 out of the 28 players were, were um, Latin players that didn't speak English as their first language. So then you got them shouting, right? So they're like, and they're like shouting at the bus driver. And the, the eight of us that are English speaking, we're, we're sitting there, we're looking at each other. And we're like, what in God's name is happening right now? We pull off into the shoulder in the 1960s rounded back manual transmission bus, and our bus driver pulls a pillow down from the overhead bin, sticks it against the window, and starts to take a nap. (laughs) 
Well, I guess. I mean, how long did he nap for? I quit baseball. <laughs> Why'd you quit baseball? Let me tell you about my bus driver. <laughs> how long did he nap for? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It could have been 15 minutes. could have been an hour. I was living. <laughs> did anyone think, I'm just getting behind the wheel of this and I'm driving this all the way to Casper? I think some of us started shouting that at some point. At some point, like uh, some of the Dominican players were like shouting at him. <laughs> I don't know what they were saying, but I'm pretty sure one of them was like, "Hey, slap his head," you know, or something like, "Wake him up," you know. And, and I love that he I didn't was shouting at the manager. Like he didn't God. turn around to you guys, just be like, "Guys, I got to be honest. I f-ed up pretty bad here. I had some Michelobes. Well, no. <laughs> he just went hey, to sleep." <laughs> He's like, "Listen, guys." I had three tall boys. I need a nap. I probably shouldn't have taken you this far. <laughs> oh, I hope he was blacked out. And when he woke up, he was like, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear uh, Joel, listen, I, I miss you so much. And, uh, and I love hearing from you. And so we got to get you back on when Toolsy comes back so we can hear all about him and Jim and their love affair in Amsterdam. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about what happened in Amsterdam. Oh, my God. Yeah, what a a joke. What a crew. What a crew. Buddy, you're amazing. My day is going downhill from here. This was amazing. This was amazing. Uh, Have a great time. Uh, Say hello to Gundy for me, I guess. Yeah. Coach Gundy. Yeah, you bet. And uh, and he's a real man. He's a man. And uh, and just have a great he's time. He's fifty now. He's fifty. That's what's weird, yeah. right? That's going to yeah. age all of us, isn't it? Like when he turns sixty, yeah. we'll be like, Jesus Christ! The guy who said, yeah, exactly. "I'm a man. I'm forty, is now fifty. That's right. That's oh, right. It's crazy. That bus driver should have turned around and said, "I'm a man. I had two <laughs> Mick Ultras. I need a nap for God's sakes. I need I need a nap, and you can shut up. <laughs> you Dominicans, be quiet. And you Americans, be quiet." Because Daddy needs to lie down on this pillow here and just get Daddy some shut up. And then you, hey, you in the back, clap. I'm coming back there and taking a deuce. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's where I, kind of where I thought the story was going, <laughs> where the bus driver pulled over. He no, that was back. just a fun detail. That was just a fun detail of our traveling. Oh, day. my God. Buddy, have a great day today, and uh, we'll you catch up it. with you very soon. All right, brother. Have Take a good care. one. Joel Clad, everybody. What a great guy. The, um, just the best. Love that dude. Miss that dude. Oh man. Doesn't he tell the best stories? And the, the description of the, the bus shifting. (laughs) See, not everyone can pull those stories off when you're adding sound effects that way. Not everybody can do it. Hey, um, listen, we're going to keep it going here. We're going to keep the party going. As I mentioned earlier, Joel, we just had Joel. He was incredible. We're about to call one of my old friends, one of my broadcast mentors, if you will, and uh, the current host of Landsberg and Koliakovo. They call it First Up. First Up in the morning with uh, Landsberg and Carlo Koliakovo. You knew him as the longtime host of Off the Record on TSN. He was the longtime host of Sports Desk on TSN uh, alongside Brendan Connor. I want to talk to him a little bit about, um, you know, partnerships. I've been working with Dan for a long time. Michael had Brendan Connor along his side for a long time. I know a lot of you guys remember that. 
maybe a lot of you, like me, grew up with Michael and Brendan hosting Sports Desk together. I mean, they were the guys, they were kind of an inspiration to me. And then now Michael is doing morning radio in Toronto, doing an amazing job of it. We got to talk to him about that because the guy's like getting up at the crack of dawn to do this every day. And former Toronto Maple Leaf, former St. Louis Blues defenseman Carlo Koliakovo is now his co-host, in case some of you guys obviously don't know this because you're not all living in the city of Toronto. I'm sounding very Toronto-centric now. But um, these guys are now working together, and they just have great chemistry. And I think it's, it's very fascinating. Chemistry is a fascinating thing. I've been working with different people since Dan has gone on his vacation with Jim Pearl uh, across Europe. Um, I mean, I can't wait to hear about that when Dan returns. Again, Dan's uh, first podcast will be August the 4th. No, August the 5th, I believe. So you'll be able to hear all about that. But I've obviously been working with Dan since 2002. Can you believe that? Almost 20 years we've been working together. And our chemistry was kind of instant. And I've always said, you know, it's, it's difficult because I've worked with people in the past that I haven't always gotten along with. Not too many people. I, I get along with pretty much everybody, but there's been a few... A few uh, bad eggs, if you will. Um, I think I've mentioned it specifically. There was there was a news anchor at a market I won't mention that I worked on a show with, and she was just a first class, like just a complete douchebag, and she made my life miserable. And at one point over the course of the show, we used to do a promo at the end of the show for the next day's show, and we'd have to sit next to each other on these high stools. And it would be the last thing we'd have to do for the day. The, that Once we were done that, we could all go home. And I would be dreading that promo because I couldn't stand this person to the point where I stopped talking to this person. I actually, can you believe that? You're working with someone on camera. You're, an, uh, you're part of a broadcast team that's delivering a show to people every single day. And this is 20 years ago when way more people were watching television. And I, I just decided, you know, I just, I'm not going to speak to this person. I'm going to speak to this person on camera, and I'll do it in a way that no one will know that I don't like this person. But off camera, we'd go to do these promos at the end of the show, and I'd sit there, and I wouldn't talk to her. And after a while, this person got the impression, you know, understood that I was going to talk to her. So I keep saying this person. Obviously, it's a woman. And so... We would sit there in stools next to each other and not talk. And then the light would go on and be like, tomorrow on this show, we're going to have this person and that person. It's going to be incredible. Check it out then. Oh, thanks. And then we'd be done and we'd be like, like, we wouldn't even say goodbye to each other. The crew would be uncomfortable. It's a situation that was so awkward that I vowed from then on that no matter what my relationship was like with a person I was working with on air, I would find some way to get along with them. I would not get myself into a position like that again. And I've lived up to that. But I will say these last few weeks co-hosting with, I've been with uh, Kayla Gray and Tessa Bonham and Natasha Staniszewski. We made an ice cream cake last week. I couldn't get the ice cream uh, open. I don't buy Nestle ice cream, Kristoff. I, I never bought it in my life. I'm opening it like a normal ice cream, but you pop the top off like a can of Pringles. Nobody told me that. But the worst thing was I was trying to open it for like a good solid 45 seconds on camera. And one of our employees on the show, she's 23 years old, uh, fresh out of College of Sports Media. She was standing next to me. I handed it to her. She popped it off in three seconds. If I would brought her on camera, it would have been such a great comedic moment. But I missed out on that. Michael Landsberg, have you ever missed out on great comedic moments like that and had it haunt you for weeks afterwards? 
Well, there's stuff that goes on where you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that wasn't recorded. As a matter of fact, many of my best moments in life haven't been recorded. So, uh, yeah, I get that, although I'm not sure the pop-up of the, uh, of the was it Nestle's chocolate? It was ice cream. It was like we were making an ice cream cake. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I, I'm not going to lie to you, it, does, it doesn't sound like it, you know, one of the all-time great moments, or even one of the all-time great Jay Onright moments, but, you know, it's a podcast, right? So your standards are lower. Well, no, this was the TV show. So Natasha Staniszewski, because I've had all these fill-in hosts, Michael, with me, because Dan's off in Amsterdam with one of our old stagehands doing God knows what. No, and, I think we know what. Well, we probably do know what. And, yeah. and so Natasha came out, and we decided to do a cooking, a baking segment, because if you follow Natasha on Instagram, you know, she loves to bake, and she, yep. every week she does a different recipe. It's really terrific. So we said, why don't we do it on the show? It was All-Star Week last week. As you know, Michael, it's the most horrible week of the year to cover any sort of sports. There's nothing going on. So we're like, let's do a whole segment where we make an ice cream cake. But I couldn't get the ice cream open, and I got a lot of flack for it. But it was totally fine with me. I love being the butt of jokes if it, if it serves the comedic purpose on the TV show. But like I said, I had this 23-year-old employee fresh out of school, and she, can't, she popped that top off that ice cream in three seconds after I struggled with it for a good 45 seconds. And it would have been so much better on camera. It would have been a real Johnny Carson moment, I think. You know, uh, I make, uh, well, I don't, but my wife and my daughter make pretty good ice cream cakes. Pretty good. Yep. So I, I can relate to that. Yeah, you know, I, I love, you know me, unconventional television. You know, would I, would, you know, do I need to see another highlight pack, which were not obviously available last week because of the All-Star break, or you making an ice cream cake? No question what I want. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. You've been up, th- first of all, buddy, thank you so much for joining us. You've been up since, what time are you getting up to do, to do first up now? Like, what time do you get uh, up? I, my alarm is set for 4.30. Wow, wow. Now, this is a guy uh, who we all watched uh, with, you know, on Sports Desk for years. You're working nights. Now you're working mornings. But I feel like that's okay. Like, I feel like you might be a morning guy. Here's, here's what I, I came to the conclusion. First of all, before I started doing this, you know, my buddy Bob Mackowitz. Yes. So he's like my best friend, and uh, he produced OTR for a decade. And he was doing mornings at, uh, at CBC Radio. And he, he was telling me about his life. And I thought, that has got to be the worst thing imaginable. I honestly thought, oh, my God, if I ever had to do that, I would die. My life would be <laughs> over. So I don't know, like six, six weeks later, um, I get a text from Stu Johnston, who is uh, my boss, your boss. Yep. And he says, uh, hey, Michael, I'd like to uh, buy you dinner on tomorrow night. Because oh, I remember boy. it was a Sunday. Yeah. So I said to him, uh, you know what? I am a highly entertaining dinner guest, but you have never asked me before. So I'm not doubting that I would be fun. I'm assuming this isn't good. And he said, no, 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 it's good. So I go out for dinner and, and we're just sitting talking. And I, and I actually went, you got to get on with it, okay? You got to tell me why I'm here. Yeah. So he says, well, you know, uh, I go, obviously you're canceling off the record. Because I had known for two years that that, that kind of TV was disappearing, right? So it, it was, it was not, it not only was it not a shock to me, but I knew it was coming. And he says, uh, yeah, but, and then I said, I bet you I'm doing radio. And he goes, yeah. And then I went, mornings, right? He goes, yeah. It was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. My life is over. No, <laughs> no. But then, you know, here I am three years later, and I'm totally adjusted to it. And uh, here's some words for you to live your life by. Listen to this. You're going to go, you know what? He's right. That's pretty smart. You have a choice in life. You know, is the glass, the glass half full or half empty? 
So for me in mornings, it's do I lament the 4.30 wake-up time or do I celebrate the 10 o'clock finish time? And I'm totally into the fact that, you know, I get, uh, I get to live two different lives. And, you, you know, I think it's funny because you're working with Carlo Koliakovo, and I think the mornings appeal to him for the same reason. Am I right about that? Yeah, because he's on the ice. He teaches. Uh, he has guys that he trains. Uh, so he has, you know, like if, if, you, if you do it, you can do one of two things. You can say, okay, well, you know what? 10 o'clock comes around, and, you know, I got a stupid post-show meeting. The last thing you want to do really after four hours of talking is to talk a little bit more. But you kind of mail that in, and then you can, you can do one of two things. You can say, okay, I'm just going to use the rest of my day, um, you know, to, to do things that I enjoy. Or you can say, I'm going to have a totally different life. And I do have a totally different life. I live with a second family in Sudbury as a gay man. <laughs> totally, totally wow. different life. I did not see that coming. I mean, yeah. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you, but I did not see that coming. Okay, now very quickly, we were, I was just talking about chemistry before, because you're, you're working with Carlo now. You were working with a rotating bunch of hosts on First Up, or, or you know, yep. when you kind of started. Carlo comes in. I'm curious about how you've sort of adjusted to that, because, you know, for a lot of us, we loved watching you with Brendan Connor uh, on Sports Desk. You guys seem to have a good chemistry, but I know, and I hope I'm not speaking, speaking out of turn here, I don't think you guys were the closest of friends off camera. Not that you didn't get along, but it was just it was just you weren't different people. I guess is the way I'm, what I'm trying to say. And then you do off the record for you know a couple of decades. You're solo. You're a lone wolf. Now you're back with Carlo. Has it, like have you had to adjust your approach in any way? You know, it, it's yeah. I've had to adjust my approach. I've had to accept how great it can be to have someone as a as. Okay, I'll be honest with you, okay? Straight goods. I worked with Naylor when I first started working in radio. Then I worked with a handful of other people, including Matt Cause. I mean, Matt's my buddy. He worked on OTR for a decade. I love Matt Cause. Matt's one of the funniest guys around. But here's what I said. I'd be out at a party and someone will say, hey, you know, no more OTR. What are you doing? And it was almost like I didn't want to tell them I was doing mornings because I wasn't that proud of it. Because to be honest... Who the hell cares what Michael Landsberg and Matt Cause say about sports? You need someone with some experience, someone who can say, yeah, when I did it or, you know, when the playoffs began, doesn't matter what sport, you need someone who can be qualified as an expert. So, like, Carlo, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then you find out he knows as much about the NFL and the NBA as he does about hockey. Then you find out that he has this boyish enthusiasm that is just through the roof. So it was kind of like I found this ideal partner and I realized that now I could do what I want to do, which is, am I allowed to swear on this? Absolutely. I can be a disturber, right? You yeah. know, I can, I can listen to what Carlos says. I can pick it apart. I can be a smart ass. You know, it's not about just me giving my opinion because as I said, if it's just me, who gives a shit? Well, I don't know. I don't, I agree with what you're saying. I know. I think people do give a because you were on off the record for a long time and, you're doing it solo. You're offering your opinion. You're doing, you know, great interviews. That's a tough, tough thing to do. And I remember people would always ask me, is Michael Landsberg really as much of a, of an <laughs> as he seems? And I remember saying, no, in fact, it's quite the opposite. He's not only a terrific person, he's in large ways responsible for me uh, being in the business that I'm in. And I say that, Michael, because I want to I ask you if you remember when I call, I was at Ryerson my first year. I had the assignment. I have to call someone in the industry. I, 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 and, and this is pre-internet. You can't text. You can't 
email. You can't find someone's Twitter account and try to slide into their DMs. You got to make that phone call. And I called and I left a message on your voicemail at TSN at 2225 Shepherd Avenue East. And incredibly, you called me back that evening. Now, maybe you didn't have a lot going on, but I was blown away that you that you called me back, invited me into the network. I got to shadow you. And that was sort of my conduit into TSN. And I always think about that when young people in broadcasting schools contact me or contact Dan and ask if they can come shadow us or just interview us over the phone or whatever. I always think about that, like, got to make the time because Michael made the time for me, which I always appreciated, buddy. Well, it's funny because you wrote something about that in your book. And what was really kind of a classic Landsberg moment, you were a guest on OTR and you were sort of touring with the book, right? Yeah. And I told you I really enjoyed the book. (laughs) And then after the show, you said something like, did you like what I said about you? And I had not read the book. So it was like, okay, I got to tell him. I, I, I'm sorry. I was lying. Okay, I was lying. I never read the book. But uh, I told you that like, when I hosted breakfast television in Winnipeg, that was a frequent, frequent thing for me, too. Like, often it would be, let's find the inside of the book jacket. Let's get the, let's get the Coles <laughs> notes, so to speak. And then let's get into the interview. Well, I mean, we could fake it a little bit, right? Okay, hold on. I got, I got a better one than the, than the one where I lied to you. So, you know Norman Jewison, right? You know the name? Like, famous director. Yeah. So, he wrote a book, and he was a guest on Off the Record. And, man, uh, I was was excited to meet him, and I was... I was just, I was on my game, man. I could tell that he was buying me, right? He was going, ah, this guy's funny, and he's interesting, and he's nice. So the show starts, and I said, Norman Jewison, great to have you on the show, man. You know what? Um, It's great to have another Jew on the show or something like that. (laughs) He goes, did you read my book? And I said, yeah, lying. He goes, the first line in my book is, my name is Norman Jewison. I am not a Jew. Amazing. Amazing. Funny. He's a great Canadian, though. He is Canadian. So He's a great Canadian. There's yeah, that. There's that. Um, okay. We had Jim Van Horn on a couple of weeks ago, Michael, because uh, he's a spokesperson for, as you know, uh, made it through bladder cancer and has just been an amazing story and is bringing awareness about that. And we got to talk to him about the early days of TSN. And, of course, he talked about you and the fact that you and Jim... And a few others, uh, Peter Watts, who recently passed away, sadly, uh, were the originals. And I, I just think, I think, man, you are still at this network holding it down. And you must think, God, this place has gone to shit since then. <laughs> you know, it, 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 when you said that, it was, uh, well, it's an interesting time because on Friday night this past week, I'm, I'm sure you would have seen a mention of it. There was a reunion. Of people I wasn't invited. Just go on. Well, you didn't qualify, right? Because you weren't an early day TSN. Right, right, right. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so there was a whole bunch of people that I hadn't seen since the early days. And we were talking and, you know, Jim's name came up. And by the way, his, his um, having bladder cancer and all the ups and downs. I know about bladder cancer because my dad had bladder cancer. My dad didn't have it like Jim had it. Like my dad had surgery and then it was... Uh, he, he had treatment and that was it. Like it never came back, but Jim's had a hell of a battle and I just so admire how he's handled it. Right. You know, yeah. you know, we're all, we're all going to have in our lives. Yeah. It's coming. 
And the question is, you know, how well do you deal with it ultimately decides what kind of quality of life you have while you're going through it. So I really admire Jim for that. But at the beginning of TSN, I don't know if he would have mentioned this because he may not have seen it the same way that I did. But there was it was me and Jim Van Horn and John Wells. And you mentioned Peter Watts and another guy named Steve Cooney and Terry Lyle. But she left very soon after we started. So it was me. I was I was 26 years old when TSN went on the air. Wow. And I had never I'd never been on television before. I just lucked into this. I convinced them to give me an audition and I got the job. So it was me with a certain a certain swagger, you know, like even back then I had this kind of cocky swagger which uh, I think Jim and John Wells, you know, two veterans in the business, were kind of put off a little bit by it. I kind of felt like there was like two different camps. There was, you know, like the kid camp and then there was the veteran camp which I, I don't know if, if Jim would agree that he saw it that way or that he saw me that way. But that was, uh, that was kind of how it felt to me back then. And now, how, like, have you talked to Jim since? Like, what's your relationship with him now? Oh, Jim, I mean, I mean, uh, I, mean I haven't seen much of him because he left TSN, you know, must have been, God, how, how many years ago would he have left TSN? Went, yeah, like, gosh, it must be at least a decade. I mean, he was at Sportsnet for a while. Now he's teaching at the College of Sports Media. Um, yeah. yeah, he loved TSN. He was doing 630 Sports Center, right? That's right. Yeah. And um, so at, back then it was, you, you know, off the record at 6, Sports Center at 630. And Jim was really good at that. Jim was Jim was, has a, an unbelievable voice. Oh, yeah. And he has great presence. And there's something about him that's authoritative, which is perfect for news, whether it be sports news or just general news. Like I could see Jim Van Horn on CNN. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember when he left at 630, I thought, I don't think that's a good move. He went to, uh, he went to the, la- the first incarnation of talk radio. It was uh, the, the team. team. That's right. Yeah. We talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I remember thinking at the time, that's not a good move for him. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and not that he couldn't do it. Like, we talked to him about it. I think, and it's funny, you know, maybe you felt that way with Sports Desk, maybe, because you've had all these different stages of your career, where over time, you know, he just said, I just needed a change, right? He had been doing the 630 for a long time. So you get offered a bunch of money to go do afternoons on this national radio station. And we all know this country is hard to speak to in a national level. The things that Regina is interested in talking about sports-wise are not the things Toronto is interested in talking about. So they were up against it from the beginning. But I guess I understand. But I also agree with you. It just it, I, He was a much to me, even though he came from radio. Like right, He's a, truly a radio guy. He just seemed to fit better on TV, to me, anyway. You know what? One of the benefits of uh, aging, uh, and it doesn't matter whether I mean aging from 20 to 30 or 30 to 40 or whatever we're talking about, one of the benefits should be some wisdom and understanding ourselves better. It's so important to be able to look at yourself and say, okay, I have been me professionally for a certain length of time. What do I do well? What do I not do as well? And sometimes what you want to do and what you do well don't match up with each other. And sometimes you got to be able to say, like, I, I remember when TSN started, I got to do sports desk, which was the thing I actually liked the most. But I also did play-by-play for football and uh, virtually every sport I got to do play-by-play on. And many sports, actually, that nobody watched. That was the, <laughs> the common theme about my play-by-play was. It was stuff no one wanted to watch. But I, but I enjoyed it just because I thought, I did college football, right? Canadian college football was, like, that was... No offense to Canadian college football, but that was pretty low on the totem pole to the point where 
my dad watched everything I did. But I would sometimes call in the way home from a game, and, and I'd say, what do you think of the game? He goes, ah, be honest, I, I stopped watching it. <laughs> it's like, no, no one watched. But one of the things you have to learn is what do you do well? And yeah. I wasn't, I, I always, I, I figured, you know what, I'm better as a studio host than I am as a play-by-play person. And even though, you know, maybe I would like to have done the CFL because yep. football was my thing. I, I realized, you know what, I'm not that good at that. And I think that's really important in life to figure out what you're good at and what you're not. Well, you know, very briefly, you brought up your, your dad a couple of times, and I just wanted to tell you, and I know you hear this all the time, but if, if I had a nickel for the amount of people, when I say that I've worked with you and that I know you, if I have a nickel for the amount of just random people on the street who say, Oh, uh, Michael's dad uh, did my braces, or my, like you know what I mean? Like yeah. that must happen to you all the time. It, all the time, right? I, I have. Uh, I, I gave a couple of speeches to orthodontists, which was really fun because my dad was an orthodontist, as you just mentioned, and you know, orthodontic community isn't that big. And my dad was kind of a legendarily nice guy. He also taught at U of T. My dad was just a lovely man. Everybody loved my dad, and people used to come into my parents' office because my mom ran his office. And I would see them, including like as recently as I think on the weekend, someone said it. Oh, I brought my kids to your parents. I used to love to come in to speak to your mom. And your dad was such a nice guy. So when I was giving these speeches, I said, you know, I'm Michael Landsberg and I'm famous. And they would all probably think oh, he's been an ass, right? You know, he works in TV or whatever. So he thinks he's famous. And I would say I'm famous because I'm Ronnie and Annalie Landsberg's son. And in that environment, that was kind of my 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 calling card. And, uh, you know, it just it makes me feel really good now. My mom died last December and my mom was this like lovely, welcoming woman. So when people would come into my dad's office, the first person they would see would be her. And everybody's got a story about her. I love that. I love that. And then, you know, everyone knows the the amazing work uh, you've been doing to promote awareness for mental health. I just have a very quick story I want to relate to you because I think you might appreciate it. I have a, a very good friend, someone you know, actually, but I won't mention his name. He was telling me uh, a couple of weekends ago I was at his house, and he was saying he was going through a pretty rough time throughout the wintertime, uh, like a several-month depression, like a, a period of depression over a few months. And we were talking about it. I said, how did you get over it? He said, well, you know, basically just eating right, getting enough sleep, like living better essentially got me through it over time. I said, that's great. I said, did you ever try, like, talk therapy? And, uh, and he said, no, you know, I don't have any, he actually said to me, I don't have any deep seated issues where I would need therapy. And I remember saying, thinking to myself, that's amazing to me that people still think that you need to, or you need to have a perception of yourself as having some sort of deep seated issue from your childhood or something in order to get into talk therapy. Because for me, I've had the opportunity to go through talk therapy a couple of times in my life, most notably after I got divorced. And I found it just to be the most incredible thing of all time. I, I, you know, it's through a service through TSN. Like a lot of companies have that kind of service where you can do talk therapy in person over the phone. It's actually covered by the company. And the first one I did was with a woman. We did about 10 sessions. And what I loved about it was just, and it, it, it made sense to me right away. And I understand why people like it. There's things you can talk to your friends about. There's things I could talk to you about, Michael. There's things I could talk to Christoph about. And I could almost talk about anything. I mean, you you know, you haven't read my books, but if you did, you'd know. I basically laid it all on the line out there. I I left almost a little, uh, I should have left a little more to the imagination. But I don't. And I'm very much an open book that way, no pun intended. 
But the difference when you sit with a therapist or in the second session, I actually called the therapist, which was even better. The difference to me is that there's always something with your friends that you're going to hold back. There's always something that you're maybe just going to be a little bit, not ashamed or embarrassed, maybe those are the words to use, of actually letting go of and actually saying to a friend for whatever reason. It might, you might not, you know, might not be holding anything in that, that's you know, shameful or anything. You might just want to hold back a little bit because you're just perceived that they might change the way they think about you. Whereas with a therapist... I just found it so, uh, it was like weight off your shoulders. The fact that you could just say anything and there was no judgment. There was zero judgment because they are literally being paid to sit and listen to you. And that's sometimes all they have to do, right? You just have to talk and talk and talk. And over the course of talking, for me anyway, I just found it incredibly helpful. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that and whether you, you know, if you're okay talking about this, whether you actually went through any talk therapy when you went through the stages of depression that you went through and whether it was as enlightening and as uh, helpful for you as it was for me. Uh, It's far too personal. I don't want to discuss it. (laughs) You know, all I do is talk about this. People say, is it okay if I ask you? I I say, dude, I'm in front of like, uh, I give a couple of speeches a week during sort of the season, which is everything but the summer or but December. And like, I'll share anything. Like I, I tell audiences, you ask me anything, any question about me. And if I don't answer, I'll buy everybody in the room dinner because I'll answer anything. So to answer your question, I think every human being can benefit from having talk therapy. I, I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with having a mental illness, so to speak. Uh, I, I, I do in some instances believe that talk therapy is not nearly enough for somebody with a mental health challenge that's severe. But that said, to to follow up what you said, everyone can benefit to it. It is absolutely liberating. That's the word that you were looking for that you couldn't find. Sorry for correcting you. Yes, yes. No, I appreciate that. Maybe I shouldn't do it with a guy who's written multiple books. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know you wrote multiple books, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, you're not going to read them anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I'll lie about them. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's so, fair. so talk therapy is is you know is great for anyone. Uh, is was it the solution for me with severe depression? Absolutely not. But um, did it help me with the me part as opposed to my illness? Absolutely. Talking through issues that I had, and so I'm a big proponent of it. But here's here's what I'm the biggest proponent of, and that is when you're sick, really sick. You have to commit yourself to say, I will do anything in my power to get better. Everything will be on the table. Because there's many people, Jay, who say, I would never go on medication. I mean, I hear that all the time. I don't believe in medication. Oh, I would never go on because I'm afraid it's going to change me. Or they have, there's a million reasons why. And I can tell you, when you're sick enough, you have to say these words. I will fight for my happiness no matter what no matter what that means. A lot of people say, I don't want to do talk therapy. I don't want to share with anyone. That is ridiculous. When you're sick like that, you know, it's like having cancer. If someone said, hey, we can can make you better, but we're going to put you through a lot of stuff that you don't want to go through. You'd say, just make me better. I think, you know, you, you mentioned medication and, you know, people not wanting to do it, it might change them. I think in our industry and other you know, I'm, I'm calling our industry a creative industry. It isn't always. But, you know, I think people who are creative are deathly afraid of that. Right, Michael? Like, they're deathly afraid that there's some sort of, there's a tool that got them to where they want to be. And they're afraid of somehow messing that tool up. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that fear is that if if I if I juggle the mix in my head, that when when the balls start stop juggling around, they may not come out the way they were before, and therefore I will lose out on some of my creativity. But I have to say that for most people, severe depression takes away creativity. Like for me, I know, um, and I, you know, I still struggle with the illness, but not like I did in the past because I'm on medication and I will be on medication the rest of my life. But when I'm having a bad day, I can tell you that I am everything that I am on a good day. I'm a quarter of that. You know, I sit down at my laptop and I say, okay, I want to, I want to do something mental health related, uh, either a video blog, which I shoot every day or something for my speech or an article or whatever. On a bad day, it's all gone. I am like a shadow of myself. So for me, the idea that medication would change me only had an upside. Buddy, it's been great chatting with you. Um, thanks for getting candid with me a little bit. Thanks for admitting you didn't read the books. Thanks for being a, a great mentor to me over the years. And uh, you're a great dinner guest, so I've heard. So sometime we have to sit down and have dinner. I mean, it'll have to be an early bird special because you go to sleep so early. No, I don't go to bed early, actually. I oh, don't. okay. All right. I, I, that's the one thing I couldn't, uh, I couldn't discipline myself to do. So it's just I give up. Because, like, the world, you live in the evening, right? Especially if you want to yeah. watch sports, yeah. right? You know, like, if you've got to talk about sports, you've got to watch sports. But I will say this, that the fact that you just said we've got to have dinner together, I would say that's bullshit. <laughs> that will never happen. That is a totally radio, podcast, TV thing. I'm predicting, and you could prove me wrong, but that's not going to happen. I'll say this. I, like, that's how I socialize. I like going out for dinner with people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on that. I'm going to say it is going to happen. It is okay. going to happen. But it has to be at a restaurant of my choosing. I want to take you to a restaurant, and we'll go out and hang out. Okay, it's good. All right, buddy. You uh, right. have a wonderful rest of the day and uh, and and uh, great chat with you. And we'll talk to you very soon. You too, man. See, really, buddy. you wrote two books. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Landsberg, everybody. There we go. That's the podcast. So um, that's uh, just a reminder again, man. This has been a blast talking to those two guys. Joel Klatt, Thank you to him. What an incredible story that was. The the bus driver who take takes the nap. Uh, Landsberg, great to chat with him as well the best guy. And uh, just a reminder, a few things. The tour, it's happening. It's still going on. Uh, We have uh, Victoria, Vancouver in September, Calgary and Edmonton in October, and Saskatoon and Winnipeg in November. Tickets are at eventbrite.ca. And it's the live podcast tour. It's the 10th anniversary. We're taking the tour on the road. We'd love to see you there. But here's another thing. We have a special announcement next week on next week's podcast about the tour. A special announcement about the tour next week. So you're definitely going to want to listen to next week's podcast. And why else should you listen to next week's podcast? Because our special guest on next week's podcast is none other than another old friend of ours from Fox, Peter Schrager. Joel Klatt and Peter Schrager, probably the two most requested guests that we've had since we've returned. We've never been able to get them on because of time reasons. Christopher and I are here in the morning doing these podcasts so we could get them on for you. So next week, Schrager, that's the 22nd, and that's when we'll do our big podcast announcement. That's it for the Jay and Dan podcast this week. Christoph, thanks for uh, being here, buddy. You killed it, buddy. You killed it. Pleasure as always. We'll see you next week. They're going home!
This is the Jay and Dan Podcast. 